It's the new year and time for the new you. You've thought about running for political office, but don't know where to start. Before you start any planning, you need to secure your name online with a yourname.vote web domain. This means your constituents will know they are learning about the real you when they surf the web. Secure your domain from GoDaddy.com today. Welcome to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Chuck Warren and Sam Stone. We're going to jump right into it because on the line we have someone very special in a very special place. You're probably never going to hear this on the radio again. Uh, Congressman Burgess Owens of Utah's 4th Congressional District is on the floor waiting for a vote. Congressman, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, not my pleasure. I'm actually in the cloakroom. Cloakroom is a place we kind of pull off to the side a little bit, <laughs> and we have these five-minute votes that we're going through. So I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys. For so sure. what is the vote for this morning, by the way? <clears throat> well, there's actually uh, two of them are for uh, the, the, the left uh, abortion. Uh, uh, all, all in abortion is, is, is worse than it was before World Roe versus Wade. So we're... We're obviously the party. We're all uh, we're voting no on this one. Is this the one uh, where they say two, two abortion is, up is, to is birth? This, is this the abortion up to birth? Bill? Oh yeah. Exactly. Oh my goodness. Exactly. And, and actually, it's, it's after up to birthday. And if you take it to New York, it's after birthday. It's it's a truly truly radical. And I know they're trying to get a lot of steam off this, but I, I think a lot of good people once they begin to realize what what the left really just want to have happen. Uh, we're just not there. And thank goodness our country's not there. So we're going to push back on this really hard and get the message out of what they're trying, where they're trying to take us on this. Will there be any amendments introduced during this vote today about exceptions of like rape and incest, you know, those basic standards that people support? Uh, no, there's, there's no, there's no, uh, no amendments. Right now we have a couple of suspension votes, but uh, basically a lot of that has already been done in the committee. Uh, the, you know, the things that were voted out, the amendments voted out, so so this is pretty much of a clean. This is pretty clean. Now. Well, and Speaker Pelosi has and, basically limited any kind of amendments throughout the last number of years, right? I mean, she she just controls yeah, these bills, yeah. hands them out right before the vote, and says, "Here, go vote." Yeah. No, it, it's what's, what's amazing. Uh, there was a time when uh, the, the Democratic Party, I think it was the thing, was uh, rare, uh, exceptional, doing certain exceptions. But right now, they're all in. They. It's a party of death, and I want people to understand that good people in the Democratic Party know that the Democratic Party is not what it used to be when I was a Democrat. Uh, it, it's something totally different. Uh, they, 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 they revel in the fact of, of, uh, of ending life. And, uh, and as now it's, 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 it's to the point of the actual birthday, the day of birth, they, can, they feel okay by ending life at that point. So uh, there's, a, there's a choice our country has to make. I'm, I'm very confident that... Uh, as a nation, we still love life, and we're going to continue to be blessed by it as long as we do that. I mean, this is basically the Roman abortion, where the, you know you decide after the birth, take a look at the child. If you don't want to keep it, you put it out on the doorstep overnight to die. They're they're basically yeah. at that point with their legislation now. That is that is yeah. vile. It's it's, it's infanticide, and um, again, I'll say this: it's as rough as this conversation is, is as tough as to see. Uh, where it's heading off to, I, I believe, uh, Chuck, that uh, guys, that I think the last two years have been able to kind of pull back the curtain. Americans are realizing that we have one side of the aisle that's, that's really radical. It's, it's been taken, taken over by the far, far left. I call them Marxists and socialists. Um, and unfortunately, until we, the people, get it right, 
so we can start having some bipartisan conversations, do what makes sense, make sure we're represented, but we all have to have the same end game. The end game has to be um, uh, a, a country that protects and revels in our, in our culture. It has to be that end game. And we might find different ways of getting there, but we have to have that end game. And, and, uh, and I think this November, we're going to get we the people back engaged, back voting, and we're going to put together legislation that will have us more as a bipartisan uh, moving toward our culture uh, uh, country again. I'm looking forward to being part of that. Well, let's talk about a minute about the wokeness that's going on in culture. So the New York Times yesterday had an article called With a Few Able and Fewer Willing to Serve. It's about the military. And um, yeah. anyway, so we're, we, we have this group text, and we were talking this morning, and a friend of our son is in the Army, and he was a number-ranked junior officer in his Oops. infantry brigade. He was an undergraduate. And Hello? they're booting him out. Can you hear me, Burgess? Hello? Burgess? No, oh, Burgess. We, we we can hear him, but apparently he he can't hear us at the moment. Oh yeah, can can, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, yep. we hear you okay just now. fine. Yep. So okay, wait, sorry, sorry guys. No, no, no worries. No worries. No worries. So wait, we were talking about the New York Times has this article yesterday about the troubles of recruiting for the U.S. military, and we have a friend that son is in the military. He's number one ranked junior officer in his infantry brigade, and he's an honor graduate of their class, and he's being kicked out because he's not vaxxed. Is this any way to run a military? It is. It is not. Uh, I understand the thing about wokeness and uh, the hard left. There's nothing they've ever built. There's nothing they've ever envisioned. They they destroy. They break down, and and then they they have a tendency of not wanting to be held accountable for that. Uh, again, no, the military is not going to work. Uh, you have colleges that's no longer working. You have uh, things as simple as that. We all should agree. NFL. And NBA sports that should be working to pull us together. That's not working because you have wokeness. But again, the key is we're waking up this stuff, and we're now going to be able to. Uh, uh, one of the things that we look forward to being able to, as soon as we get back into power as a party, is address this idea of all these good people, good service people, men and women, to doing what they have to do, but they're caught on the wrong side of woke and see what we can do to, to make sure they, they get they get the opportunity to be back into the profession they want to be back into. Those are things we're looking at. I just know we have a party that understands this, and we want to make sure we, we right the ship. And it's going to be up to we, the people, to really show up, show up, and be engaged, and we can make sure we do it in such a way that the message is clear that we want to get back to normal. Congressman, what I, what I think is so amazing and, and so disconcerting, frankly, is the country, even in electing Joe Biden, did not vote for the woke Democrat Party. They thought they were voting no. for a Clinton Democrat. And frankly, Bill Clinton today would be in the Republican Party, along with JFK and every Democrat from the past who, who's <laughs> worth their salt. Bill Clinton in the 90s would be. Yeah, Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton from Clinton the 90s. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and that's, that's because uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a different different day. I mean, the days of uh, Ronald Reagan and, uh, uh, and that group where they can really work bipartisan is quite different. What's happening is this, uh, and I, I think part of it was the fact that you know, we had COVID, number one. Uh, before that, we had Trump which was uh, very, very pro-American. And American people uh, are recognizing we want to get back to that. I think the left is so panicked that they cannot progressively move the way they have been for years. They're doing everything that makes absolutely no sense. Uh, and people are going through misery right now that seems to not care. I mean, you look at inflation, you look at gas, you look at the border, everything you possibly think of, what they touch is turned to dirt. And that's because they've never built anything. But at the same time, we're no longer talking hypothetically what lo- what the left looks like. We don't have to say this is what happens. You go socialist right or Marxist right. You can see it, and I think when American people see it, it it's, it's a different 
understanding of what we need to do now to get it back. Uh, we don't want misery. We don't like we don't like divisiveness. We don't like anger. We don't like destruction. We don't like our churches being burned down. We don't like people being bullied and their business being burned. We don't like that. So now that we see what it looks like, uh, we're going to uh, to come back uh, to again the direction that we all know we need to be to make sure that our kids can have a great future and we move forward with uh, with hope. Um, Congressman, this is Chuck. Since January 2021, since um, Biden became the president. Has this administration reached out at all to Republicans to try to get them to work on various bills? Have you, have you, have you got any message from the White House? No. Do they send people down to talk to you and find not, out what your desires not, are? Not really. Not really. And, and guys, listen, I'm so sorry. I'm looking at the floor. They're about to close this vote out. Now, this is one that no, I have to get, say, it, no, get in no, there, no, Congressman. We need your voting. I'm, I'm so sorry. Go no, vote. Right, right, appreciate thank it. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. You betcha. Thanks, Bye-bye. Well, yeah. we still have Mark with us here in the studio. Well, so people have not been introduced to Mark because that's actually the podcast that's segment right. we just did, folks. So introduce we, Mark real quick, and we'll talk uh, about this. We, we have in our studio Mark Deluzio. He's a businessman and gold star father running for Congress in Arizona's second congressional district. And folks, if you normally just listen to us on the radio, I really, really encourage you to go and make sure you download the podcast, get that extra segment because Mark had some fantastic things to say, and generally. We have a lot of fun on those segments. Also, uh, Mark, uh, thank you for staying with us in here. We just heard from Congressman Owens. They've got a bill on the floor right now that allows abortion up to birth. Well, you know, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm a big fan of Burgess, by the way. Uh, I think he's a great guy, and uh, I'm glad he's in there fighting the fight. Um, uh, again, a successful businessman and also obviously professional football player, so he knows what fighting is all about, right? He, he knows how to take a hit and deliver one, hit. too. Exactly, yeah. You know, this is what we talked about, I think, on the podcast, where there's just an all-out attack on the family. And if you look at, you know, if you look at a lot of the different <laughs> initiatives that the left is looking at, whether it's abortion or climate change, there's always a hidden agenda. And people seem to forget that abortion was started by Margaret Sanger with eugenics, and her first Planned Parenthood clinic was in downtown Detroit, uh, inner city Detroit, in the ghetto, because she wanted to wipe out the black race. And we seem to forget about that, okay? I'm glad you brought that up, because that's something I talk about from time to time, and most people don't understand. No, no. The eugenics movement is what spawned both the abortion movement and the radical environmentalist movement. Exactly right. Exactly right. And so there's always another hidden agenda behind what they're trying to do. And uh, I think Americans are starting to figure it out. But, but, you know, I I did some really quick math right now. And the African-American community had, going back to 1990, uh, had all those babies lived, they, 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 the African-American community you know, uh, aborts almost as many as the white community, they would now be 17 or 18% of this population instead of 13, 13 and a half. Okay, if, the, if those babies lived. Well, and that, that's a okay. big shift in political power. It, it's a big one, right? And, and, they're, and they're, they're actually doing their own self a disservice, right? And, 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 and uh, you know, and wiping out uh, the, the the black population and and you know they hide it over the women's right to choose and you know climate change is all about the environment no it's not it's about taking down capitalism and and that's really what it's about when you get right now there's always a hidden population agenda. control Bo- population control there's a globalist movement here of course and uh, I would even say the Communist Party quite frankly are useful idiots to the globalists right oh, I, I okay. totally agree you know and and they don't know it okay. 
And so all these different programs and, and movements are, are, are really, they're lying to the people who are getting on their bandwagon, you know. And so uh, it's, it's just a big disservice, all the different things with affirmative action, uh, the now the woke movement that you guys talked about in terms of, you know, that, that basically is doing a disservice. When you put somebody as unqualified as Kamala Harris in as VP, she's unbelievably unqualified and because she's there, because she's a woman, and because she's black. Now, what happens when a black woman who is qualified gets a position? How are people going to look at her? That's a disservice to African-American women, women in general, or and African-Americans in general, okay? It's just a disservice when you put a, a, somebody so incompetent in that position, okay? It, there are a lot of incompetent folks in politics, but Kamala Harris makes most of them look terrible, look good. I mean, that's really what we're at. Breaking Battlegrounds will be coming back in just a moment. We have to go to break here. We're going to keep Mark Deluzio in studio with us. Look forward to continuing the conversation with him in just a moment. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host Chuck Warren and Sam Stone. I'm jumping right into this one because we've got a jam-packed show today. If you missed the first segment, make sure you tune in on our podcast. Download that anywhere podcasts are available. Uh, you're also going to get a great segment from our current guest, Mark Deluzio, that is on the podcast-only segment. And for those of you listening on the radio or downloading the podcast and want to get a little more Breaking Battlegrounds in their lives, August 2nd, 8 p.m. Arizona time, uh, for those of you who are in states which are foolish enough to continue to use daylight savings time, that is currently Pacific, 8 p.m. Pacific, uh, 7, uh, 7.90 a.m. Oh, goodness gracious. 9.60 a.m. The Patriot. The Patriot. Mark, I'm, I'm all over the place today, Chuck. Mark, so describe for our audience what your career really was. How would you describe it? Give us the elevator pitch on that. And then describe for us a great success you felt you had. And then also describe for us a failure you had in business that you learned from and you can take those skills and your future your career in, in politics and Congress. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> by the way, I think I think the failures that I've had in, in, in my life and in business uh, translate into wisdom. So you take somebody who's 65 years old like myself, and I think that's a big advantage going into Congress, believe it or not. Uh, <laughs> well, first of all, could you imagine running for Congress now if you're 35 or 40 versus the experience and wisdom you've garnered now at 65? It's a big gap, isn't it? It's a big gap. Yeah, it's a big gap, you know, because there's a lot of mistakes that these people are going to make that they don't realize, you know. Uh, one of the success, well... I've got a lot of successes. I started out my career in finance. I was a CFO, chief financial officer. I moved into manufacturing. I, I was part of the team back in the late 80s that went to Japan and brought the originators of the Toyota production system to the United States. Okay. So how long were you in Japan for? Well, I, I, I must have been to Japan 30 times. Uh, you know, uh, I've spent so much time over there studying. You know, I did all kinds of stuff over there and working with Toyota and all kinds of other companies. But the senseis that I learned from are the world's best in what we do, and it's called today lean manufacturing. But it started at a company in Connecticut and in uh, a company called Danaher, and I created one of my successes. I created uh, the uh, ran operations. I ran manufacturing. I I worked all over the world, 
and actually created this thing called the Danaher Business System, which is now the most sought-after lean management system in the world. They teach it at Harvard uh, in their MBA program and all the different you know programs that they do. Uh, I get called all the time to go speak in, in MIT and, and Kellogg and all these different schools, Harvard. And I get calls from the CEO of a company. Hey, I just went to Harvard and I heard about you and and DBS, and we want to do this. And I don't even have to. I don't even have to worry about business development, right? Well, that's one of my big successes. But you know, one of the failures I think I had over the course of time is is that. Uh, oh, by the way, let me just add into that too. One of the big things I've done is change the Federal Trade Commission law where you have to really make your product here in the USA to market made in USA. There's a lot more gory details to that, but. I, I got my prints on that, and I led that charge back uh, way back. It's a major when. accomplishment. Yeah, I, I, it is. Yeah. Are you featuring yeah. that on your campaign? Because if yeah, you're we not, talk, I, we talk about. Yeah, it. I mean, I feel he's sort of underplaying it, right? right oh, no, by the way, yeah, I, yeah. I was taking a walk to the park, and no. I did this along the way. Yeah, right? yeah, I'm taking a walk through the park, and somehow I ended up on the top of Everest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's cold up there. <laughs> it's uh, cold and lonely. But, uh, but, but one of the failures I think is, uh, and maybe it's more of a learning, is that. <clears throat> You could have the best idea in the world. And when you're young, like when you're in your 30s, like at one time I was, uh, you come in and I got the answers. And let me tell you, I, I, I know I know how to do that. You could have the most perfect, elegant idea in the world. But if you don't make it somebody else's idea, they're going to push back on you. Okay. And I made those mistakes. Like, hey, I got the brightest idea. I just learned from the best in the world. Let me tell you what to do. You know, and that doesn't fly. Okay. So being able to, to, to use the more Socratic method of asking questions and letting people come up with the answers themselves, and then they have buy-in, and it's their idea. To me, I made a lot of mistakes like that in the early days, but I'll tell you one thing I, I, I also did that was a big mistake. When I was selling a uh, product to Hino Motors in Japan, which is part of Toyota, uh, I was 100, I ran manufacturing, right? I was 100% on-time delivery, never missed a delivery shipment. 100% quality. They never had a quality problem, no warranty. I was perfect. My first trip over there, I went into their purchasing office because the diesel engine that we sold to, they had 110, 110 suppliers, of which we were one of them. And I expected me to be, they're going to roll out the red carpet, right, And when I get over mm. there, right? They, these guys, Hino Motors, part of Toyota, they're the best manufacturing company in the world. Okay, they're, they're unbelievably the best. And I walk into the office, and I'm looking at my name, and, and I don't see my name up on top of the list. They had this big chart on the wall, right? Ranked from best supplier to the 110th worst. And I'm looking at it, and I don't see my name. Ah, they wrote it in kanji characters. That's why I don't understand <laughs> it. No, I went down the list. I was number 106. Wow. Okay. How could that be? I was 100%, no quali no 100% quality, all this, right? Well, dummy me, I assumed I knew what they wanted. They said to me, no, Mark, here's some other things you're, you're not doing. 100% quality, 100% delivery are just entries to get in to play with us. you got to have that, okay? Wow. But you're missing here. You're doing, not doing this. We need you to do this and all this. And I, I totally assumed what my customer wanted. So when you get into politics, how you translate that over is don't assume you know what your people want unless you talk to them and listen to them. Assumption is the mother of all screw-ups. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and, 
and 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 people are not being listened to. They're not being represented. Now I'm not saying that with Gosar's district because a lot of my district is Gosar's old district, or its current district. Gosar works his butt off to get out there and talk to people. He's great. That's one of the things I think few people understand about that guy. He works. Oh, he does. The p- yeah. he well, I don't think works. a lot of people know much of anything of the people represented running for Congress. Right. I mean, you know, so right. they go get, for example, today, Mark is Mark has a, a wealth of experience, and I think unless you're able to talk to Mark for 40 minutes, how right. are you going to know that? Right. Well, the right. press here, for instance, always thinks Gosar should lose his race, and they don't understand that he's met, he's shaken the hands that keep him on office. I told, probably I told probably Gosar, half the district. I, I told Paul last time I met with him, I said, you know, when they're coming after you, you know you're doing the right thing. Yeah. Okay, you know, you know what I'm saying? I said that to Meadows too, so, but Mark Meadows, but, uh, but yeah, I mean that, that. So to me, it's like don't assume you know what your customer, because I, I would view, I would view, uh, you know, there the people in this district would be my employee, uh, my employer, right? And don't assume you know what they want. I have to serve them, but don't assume you know. You have to ask them and listen to them and and, and find out what they really mean. And that sounds like sounds like good marriage advice too. Well, <laughs> the man's been married for 42 years. 42 so years. we have something to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Chuck, the, the real key, there's two keys to this, right? One, I wake up in the morning and I apologize, number one. And two, we go out to dinner twice a week. She goes on Tuesday, I go on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's not only knowing when to say, but when not to say, right? Yes, yes. All right. And we, when we, she wants my opinion, she'll give it to me. So We, we only have about 30 seconds left before we go to break. Mark, tell people how they stay in touch with you and keep up with your campaign and and folks get get involved learn about this guy because he is a great candidate for congress uh deluzio for congress.com is my website d-e-l-u-z-i-o-f-o-r for for congress uh dot com and then you can google me on facebook and and thank you for not using the number four yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have to say FOR because a lot of people do use that. Oh, I know, but uh, yeah, don't yeah. get me started. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Breaking Battlegrounds will be coming right back in just a moment. Our next guest is going to be Representative Jackie Toledo, a member of the Florida House of Representatives. And since we're on the air in Florida, it's good to have some more of these Florida guests. Yes, it is. Very excited for her. Mark, thanks a million. We appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You deserve a home that's beautiful and stylish. At Overstock, you don't have to choose between low prices and quality. Find new, on-trend home goods that reflect your taste and don't compromise on value. You can be proud of your home and design a space where you feel like you, all under budget. Plus, you get free shipping on everything in the continental United States. Overstock is where quality furniture and decor cost less. All right, welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your hosts Chuck Warren and Sam Stone. On the line with us right now, Representative Jackie Toledo, a member of the Florida House of Representatives in the 60th District, which includes uh, town and country, South Tampa, and a stretch of the coast in southern Hillsborough Hillsborough County to Ruskin. Uh, Single mother of five with an adopted son uh, who is serving. Uh, Is that he's serving in the military? Yes, that's correct. Okay. All I had was serving, so I'm having to make a little bit of a guess right there. Uh, As folks know... Our show is based out of Arizona, but Chuck and I both do some work in Florida, uh, and we're very excited to have more Florida guests on for all of our Florida listeners on The Answer. Uh, And Jackie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you were were born in Lima, Peru. When did you come come here? 
I was uh, I was five years old when I came to the United States, but my parents came here when I was three. Uh, legally, I made ads because um, and asked for permission and processed us, and it took about two years. So huge sacrifice for a parent for us, you know, to be separated from our my mom and dad, and and my sister and I were in Peru until they could ask for permission to get us here. And thank God we're here because. We've had so many uh, opportunities and truly living the American dream. Uh, absolutely. Now, your governor, Governor Ron DeSantis, gets a lot of credit for a lot of things he does very well. But frankly, I got to say, the Florida legislature has done a brilliant job in recent years. You guys have, have really done a great job for your constituents. I don't believe you guys get enough credit for that. Thank you so much, because there's 120 of us in the House and 40 of us in the, in the Senate. So I think it's easier to, you know, look at one person. And the governor has done a tremendous job of being decisive and bold with his leadership. And, of course, we're, you know, making sure that his agenda is passed and we do everything to keep Florida the freest state in the country. That's fantastic. Jackie, what is something the past legislative session that the press got completely wrong about a bill that passed Florida? Is it the Disney? Is it, um, you know, the, the university? Um, you know, what are, what are you teaching? What, what do you feel something the press just does not get right about what you're well, I think, passing? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, they, um, to- they coined the, the bill, the Don't Say Gay bill, um, which was, um, I think, mislabeled. It didn't say that. It didn't say, it's a very short bill, by the way. And it really just said you cannot talk about sexual uh, orientation, gender identity to any child under the age of third grade, so eight years old and under, which I think is the parent's job to have those conversations. Um, and, you know, it was really taken out of context uh, with the media and the left and the woke left to try to, you know, um, divide us. And well, it, even be, though most parents, I'm sorry. Jack, Jackie, no, I mean, I was going to say, because even though this bill has been labeled that, the fact is it applies to all education on, you know, sexualization of children who, frankly, should just be kids. Uh, gay, straight, right. and otherwise. And should, yeah, and they should be focused on learning um, the alphabet, reading, uh, writing, math, you know, not these these um, things that they want to talk about. You know, it's, it's been odd because more kids know more about their teachers than they do the subject matter. And that's not what we want. We, we want to make sure we're focused and we're educating children, not indoctrinating them and having them come home and ask questions um, to their parents that are really not something that maybe some parents want to talk about at that time. So it's truly a parent's responsibility as the first influencers of a child's life. Well, and and when you're talking about kids who are eight years old and younger, they they naturally do not, sex is not their concern. I I mean, these issues are are not on their table. They're, They're worried about, you know, whatever the latest Pokemon game is. Cartoons. Yeah. Baseball, whatever. That's... Absolutely. Building blocks and pirates. And, you know, it's, it's funny because, you know, most children want to be someone else or something else when they're young, like a princess or a pirate or a cowboy, you know, um, but not, you know, obviously we don't go 
and do everything to convert them into those things. We just let them be kids. So it's way too young to say, you know, someone wants to be another gender or it's okay. That is something something that teachers should not be talking about. Yeah, absolutely. We have just a, about 45 seconds here left in uh, in this segment. Can you Jackie. hear me? Yes. I can. Uh, how okay. do you? How do people follow you and stay in touch with what you're doing? And obviously, when you're campaigning for reelect, how do they keep up with you? So I'm on social media. Um, my handle is at, at Toledo for the number four Congress, and I actually always give out my cell phone number too on my palm card, and you can find it on my website, with it, which is JackieToledo.com. But I'm pretty easy to. Um, read and accessible. I think as a legislator for the last six years, that's been something I've truly been Ab- Absolutely. Proud of. Jackie, yeah. we got to go to break, but we're going to bring you back when we come back. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds, jam-packed show today. On the line with us right now, uh, Jackie Toledo. She is a representative of the member a member of the Florida House of Representatives for the 60th District, and we are very pleased to have her on this morning. Uh, thank you again for joining us, Jackie. So, Jackie, you're running for Congress. Now, yeah. what, we want to talk about very that. Very excited so, about it. That's great. <laughs> what made you decide to leave the Florida legislature where you folks actually get things done <laughs> and decide I'm going to go up to do Washington and spend cold months in the winter up there in um, Washington, D.C. instead of Florida. What 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 has inspired you to make this move? Well, I, I feel like I leave Tallahassee and the Florida legislature in good hands. I feel like we're going to have a red wave and it's going to even further strengthen our Republican leadership in the state house. And we've done a lot of things to secure our, our future. But D.C. is broken and I'm a mom on a mission to clean it up like I feel like moms can, and with my engineering background, I think I can get things done, just like I got things done in the Florida House. So I'm going up there with hope um, that there are things that I will be able to get done, that there are things that I'm going to um, work hard at to get done, and we need people that are passionate. We don't need people that want to be someone, but that want to do something, and that's me, and you know, I believe in term limits, by the way. Everyone always asks me about that. Um, you know, I, I would have been termed out next year, so I had another term in the Florida House. Again, I self-termed out, and I, I'm doing what I can to secure our country's future and to win our country back. And that's truly what we need is people that are willing to fight, despite especially the AOCs of the world. I'm Hispanic, and she does not represent me. Uh, we are conservative by nature, and, you know, so often we are told that the Republican Party does not represent us, and that's false. You know, we're pro-life, we are pro-God, we are, you know, pro-family, and those are the values that conservatives stand for. So I want to, you know, make sure that I get that message out there to my fellow Hispanic brothers and sisters um, that I'm there fighting for them. And pro work because Hispanics across this country are some of the hardest working. Well, people. what's what's yeah. a, what's amazing, Jackie, and I'm going to get the numbers a little wrong here. Um, I was sent this to Sam yesterday, so there was a poll out that showed that um, white progressives, by like a margin of uh, like it was seventy something to thirty, do not believe in the American dream, and it was reversed for Hispanics. So seventy percent of Hispanics believe the American dream is live and real. White progressives do not. Why do you think that is? 
bad? Well, maybe because they don't know. Because I came from a country where it really didn't matter how hard you worked. If it if you weren't in the right class, then you were never going to make more money than the class that you're in. Um, so coming to this country and just starting with very little and just your work ethic and great attitude, you can really achieve anything. Look at me right now. I'm an engineer. I'm a legislator. I have a, a business, and, and I created that. I did that all through hard work, and I won my first race through hard work, despite what other people, the pollsters, um, the insiders would say. Oh, she, you know, she's outraised, uh, out, uh, her opponent outraised her, out-endorsed her. But you know what? Hard work does still matter in this country, and we will do everything to make sure it continues to be like that because these handouts, obviously, um, they disincentivize you from doing hard work because why am I going to work hard? Be penalized for it when someone else is staying at home and reaping the benefits of government handout. Like, that's not what Hispanics want. You know, that is certainly, we want to work hard. We want government out of our life like we had in, in our countries that we came from. We love this country. We appreciate this country, and we will work hard to make sure we can continue that for our children. We're Jackie Toledo, representative of the Florida legislature, now running for Congress, and it is a close race, I understand. Like, there's three of you that right now is a flip of the coin. If you're elected, Jackie, what do you feel you're—if you're elected and say you serve for eight, ten years, what do you feel you need to accomplish to feel like you you succeeded, that you accomplished something to make America a better place if you get to Congress? Thank you. And when I am elected, I will make sure we secure the border. I think having an open border, which is nowhere else ever in any other country, is we have a porous border. And I've been working on issues of human trafficking, and you know that it's coming right at the southern border. So our safety and security is at stake and at risk here in in our country. So securing our border um, would be one of the first things I work on. But becoming energy independent as an engineer is something that I'm very passionate about, you know, um, making sure that we have what we need in our country, that we're not relying on foreign oil. Um, and we, we were doing that in the past, and we need to get back there. So that's another thing I want to reverse what we've been, the policies that we've had in the last couple years that have failed Americans. And, you know, now we're dealing with the effects of 5 to $6 gas prices. You know, and, and one thing that may take a while, but I, as a math person, as an engineer, want to do, and I feel like we can, is balance our budget like we do in the state of Florida. You know, I, I don't know why people think that's such an outrageous, you know, request that we balance our budget and save for a rainy day and stop, you know, devaluing our dollar by printing money that we do not have. I mean, we don't do it at our own homes. We, we don't do it in the state of Florida. We shouldn't do it in the federal government. So that is something that I'd love to spend time to really uh, understand the budget, understand how we can streamline, make it more, you know, find efficiencies, um, to cut out some of the things that are obsolete with technology. There's so many things that we can do better and smarter, and that's what engineers do. Jackie, we look into things. Yeah. Oh no, no. You're. you're I, I. actually think I was going to say if you become someone who truly does understand the budget, that'll make you like one of three people in Congress who, who has that <laughs> level of knowledge. Well, matter of fact, there was an interesting stat I saw the other day. Um, 
80% of all U.S. dollars in existence right now have been printed the last two years. I mean, that's how... That's ridiculous. That's how out of whack Washington is with money right now. 80% the last two years. 80% of existence last two years. Goodness gracious. It's so sad for our future, for our kids, because they're the ones that are going to be paying the price for this lack of oversight over what we're spending. You know, they don't care. Pelosi is definitely doesn't care. She Her days are numbered, so she doesn't care. So she's spending it like it's, you know, going out of style. And, and I just really want to stop the bleeding because we need to stop and look back and, and say, just because we've done it in the past doesn't mean we need to continue to move in that direction. We really need to take a step back and, and really focus on what we need um, and just our needs, not our wants. You know, yeah, like Jackie, we would in any household budget. Jackie, you're fighting back against sort of the, the woke, the wokeness that the Democrats are trying to push across this country. You said something earlier about your background and coming from a country where people's futures are really dictated by the class they're they're born into. Isn't wokeism in a certain extent about creating those same sort of class barriers here, dividing people into different classes, different races and really putting barriers between people and between and in, in the way of their economic futures and their growth. Absolutely. I and mean, that's a great parallel because, you know, woke is becoming part of our culture, sadly. And we need, right now we have a vocabulary, I call it, where there, there are different terms that we're supposed to use so no one's offended. And they cancel people because... You know, it, we don't believe they're imposing their beliefs on others. And that is not something this country is founded on. And we will push back, you know, and it doesn't matter what company you are, whether it's Disney or Google. I've discovered a few things about, you know, and I, I don't want to alert them of things, but, you know, very disturbing things in my uh, in my um, work and passion for fighting human trafficking that I think we need to hold these companies accountable that are these woke corporations. So that is something I will definitely get, um, you know, with with the help of, what you know, the data that I received. Um, I'm really going to spend a lot of time to discover what they're really actually trying to do with our children and our, our country. Yeah, we see we see it here in Arizona all the time. People are being trafficked through the southern border, but they're not staying just here in Arizona. Uh, these folks, whether they are being child sex trafficked, if they're being human trafficked for labor, whatever it might be, these folks are ending up all over the country. This is an issue for all 50 states, maybe other than Hawaii, I guess, 49. Yeah. Jackie, what's it like being a mom of a of a son serving in the military? Oh, it's very scary right now. I'm very proud of him, you know, because it's something I want all my boys to uh, experience and serve and do their part of giving back to this amazing country. Um, but, of course, right now, it's such scary times with Biden. You know, I mean, he doesn't know whether we're at war, where, you know, where he's supposed to turn. So it, it's a very scary time right now. And, um, you know, again, we, we should be making sure that our troops are home, you know, and not participating um, in areas that fighting someone else's war. 
Secretary of State. We should be protecting our country. What should we be doing about Ukraine? You have a great um, nonprofit we've had on the station here in Tampa that goes and helps people get out of Ukraine. What, as Congress, what would be your position on how we handle something like Ukraine? And I think, you know, what most people, you know, we all agree Russia is a clear present danger in the world, but what is our role in this? Well, that's a good question. I mean, we spent uh, a lot of resources um, to Ukraine, you know, to help them there. But again, these are resources that we needed here. Uh, right now, with inflation going through the roof, I mean, those are resources that could have been better used at home, you know. So I, I feel that, you know, there are so many um, humanitarian organizations that are doing their part, uh, non for profit organizations that are doing their part in Ukraine. But that's something that if we are in the situation we're in right now, we should be focused on our our country's needs. I think fundamentally this country has not had the discussion in, in an honest way, Chuck, about what is our role in protecting other people's borders? Because we don't protect our own, but we're, we're willing to run around the world and protect other people's borders. And, and Putin's a bad guy. Russia's invasion is wrong. He's evil. But is it really the United States' role to go in and, and stop everyone who's evil in the world from being evil? I, that's a good question we've never had. And it's a debate we really need to have. Um, Jackie, what would you do about inflation? I am sure, I mean, Tampa um, Tampa has is just, you know, used to be the place where we talked about where you found a Hooters or a strip club, and now it's a tech industry. It's It's got these great, you know, it's building up these condos and developments and things of that nature. It's really changed. And it's really a city that's becoming a business leader. Um, how is inflation affecting your constituents out there? Um, huge, especially for housing. We have a huge housing crisis because the policies, local policies that we're implementing certainly don't help because they're doing moratoriums, which, you know, obviously cut out the supply of new homes. But the demand is still there. People are still moving to Florida. So therefore, cost of homes continue to rise. And it's becoming un- it's not it's becoming unaffordable for most people, young people, you know, especially those that are a middle class and below. Um, we're not able to move into the urban core. We're having to move outside of, in rural areas, which then now with the inflation, the cost of gas. You know, if you you're moving outside rural areas, you have to travel further to get to work. So it just it's like a trickle effect and a cycle you can't get out of because of the cost of gas, mainly cost of diesel, which is causing the, the cost of um, not only gas, but goods, all goods, because of the transportation cost. Is this the number one issue you hear from your constituents as you're out campaigning? Yes, absolutely. They can't afford groceries. They've had to limit what they buy because of everything's going up. And, you know, we talk about the highest inflation right now at 9%, a little over 9%. But really, the cost of the basic goods are doubled that at the very minimum. Eggs, milk, you know, the stuff that are basic yeah, needs. Pe- people so, are paying and- a price for the printing presses in D.C. Jackie, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Before we go, I uh, want to give you a chance to give folks the information. How do they keep up with you? How do they keep in touch with your campaign? Well, yes, please follow me on Twitter, on uh, Facebook, Instagram, at Jackie Toledo for the number four Congress. Um, that's my handle. 
and look for me online at JackieToledo.com. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Breaking Battlegrounds back next week. The 2020 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2021. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now. Welcome. Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. First, I want to tell you, tune in. August 2nd, 8 p.m. Arizona time. For those of you who are still foolish enough to mess around with daylight savings, that's 8 p.m. Pacific, uh, where we are going to be breaking down all the races here in Arizona and across the country for primary night. Missouri, Michigan, Washington, Kansas. Kansas should be a barn burner. Yeah, no. So so Missouri of the Senate race. But nonetheless, we'll be here to keep you entertained. we have a fantastic guest, someone I'm excited to talk to. He's a baseball fan. That always warms my heart. <laughs> always warms my heart. Mark Deluzio, businessman and gold star father, running for Congress in Arizona's 2nd Congressional District. Uh, Mark, you have an amazing background here as I'm reading this. First in your family to earn a college degree. Uh, you went on to be a successful corporate executive advising companies in a whole number of industries on strategy and tactics entrepreneur, founder of a global management consulting company. Uh, you've been married for 41 years. That's an, also an amazing accomplishment. It's now 42 because we just celebrated our 42nd in June. So well, Congratulations. congratulations. Yeah. we, we got to get your bio updated here. Kylie? What the Kylie, heck? yeah. The irrepressible Kylie Kipper, Kipper uh, has just think, been repressed. I don't think Kylie. So my wife's been traveling with me on the campaign trail, and I don't think uh, Kylie maybe thought we were going to make 42 years. <laughs> so give her a well, break. The jury's still out, maybe. That, that, that's, that is a very good point, Mark, because goodness gracious, campaigning is, a, is crazy, isn't oh my it? God. It's, uh, I, I always worked hard, but never as hard as this. Mark, so. what has surprised you about campaigning? As you, I mean, so this is your, everybody needs to know, you're a businessman, you come from the right. business sector, right. you have been brought on to reorganize and get companies crap together, basically, right? What has surprised you about campaigning? There's a lot of similarities between business and, cam- and, and politics, but there's some big differences, right? And, and one of the differences is just understanding what makes people tick, you know, in terms of the psychology of why one person would back a candidate versus uh, another. I get asked all the time, hey, do you, do you like Carrie or do you like, uh, you know, Karen or, you know, and it's and it's and, and depending on what answer you give them, you can alienate somebody, you know, and and there's a lot of crazy things going on there. Also, um, how you know a, a party that you know fundamentally calls for unity in our country is very disorganized and and device, divisive in some cases, right? So the party itself has all these factions. And you go to any one of these towns and there might be five different Republican clubs. They're all kind of fighting each other, okay? Yeah. And, 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 and I'm the most important club, obviously. Oh, yeah, right. and be careful what you say to that club because right. they're going to upset you. And, you know, and then, you know, you know so it, it's, it's an interesting... I love psychology and, and understanding people, you know? And this was great. This, I mean, <laughs> seriously, you know, it was... Um, so I imagine you've written a lot of case studies or... You have to for for clients, right? Oh, this yeah. is what we're oh, seeing. Yeah. Oh yeah, this would be an interesting case study when you win. Right. right? Well, you, you know what's funny? Here's here's the other thing. Like these primary seasons are short, right? 
in corporate America, people are still out for themselves and they're still, you know, trying to maneuver. But I've got three years to make you look bad and I'm going to take your job in three years. Not in a campaign. Everything's condensed. So you see the, the minutia, if you will, in a lot shorter time period and it resonates really fast. Right? Well, in, in yeah. assuming you win the primary, hang on for the general because you want to talk about condensed. Oh, yeah. I know. I, I mean, you have, you have 60 days, basically. Right. And, our, and, the Aug- go out. That's right. and the August primary date in Arizona is ridiculous. It's they insane. need to do this in the end of May, give you the summer to you know, recalibrate, bring the other factions in, raise money, and go after the Democrat opponent. I was lucky, though, because I got in late. I didn't wait to see what Paul Gosar was going to do, and, and so I didn't get in until January. Well, a lot of my opposition was already in for a few months, and so luckily for me, August, in this case, was good. But I, normally, I would agree with you, Chuck. Yeah. What is a question that has that has been consistently asked of you that has surprised you? So obviously, people are concerned about inflation. People are concerned about the border. But is there some other question out there that your surprise comes up with some regularity? <laughs> I'm going to write a book. It, it, it's <laughs> it, it's going to be called, What Are You Going to Do About... And we will have you back on the show to do that. Oh, my God. Uh, And and, uh, one of the ones I got uh, recently was, what are you going to do about putting morality and ethics back into politics? Did you tell them to go to church and just work on it themselves with their community? I did tell them I'm going to pass out Bibles, you know. But but I said to the guy, I was in front of like 60 people, and I said— I said, uh, well, I'm, right now I'm working on making pigs fly, okay? <laughs> and once I get that done, I'm going to work on that. Uh, these are the questions you get. You yeah, know? I mean, it, that's, you know, it's a funny question coming from Republicans, who you're right. campaigning with, that they don't realize that that has to come from the home, from, from the faith community. Them, it, it does. I mean, yeah. do we really want the government telling us what morals are? Well, my God, are you kidding me? Well, you know what I said to him? I said, once you take care of your morals and ethics, I'll take care of mine. You know, and stop trying to change everybody else. Just take care of your own, because everybody has their own baggage they got to deal with, right? So, so take care of yourself and just do the right thing, and then don't try to change Congress. Good luck with that. Well, I, I really believe Congress is a reflection of the country, and the sort of every dog for himself approach that has taken over instead of national in place of national unity is reflected in Congress. Well, and I see it, you know, with my businesses, I see it a lot more now, every dog for themselves from a, from staff and colleagues and stuff. It's it's really changed the last three or four years. It's been it's just been disappointing to deal with vendors and people. It's not the same. Um, it's there's a different urgency. I have to save myself. There's less teamwork. It's it's been it's a very discouraging. It's been very discouraging. Yes. So let me ask you this: You've been you've been you've been consulting these corporations, and you're basically look you're a reorganization specialist in many ways. Is that fair to say? Yeah, but I, that has a bad connotation because it's not about you know putting people out in the street. I won't do that. As a matter of fact, the CEO of GE wanted me to work with him, and uh, I and if, I said if you're going to put people on the street, I'm not working with you. So well, so so my question is though, because you've had these experiences where you're brought in to handle a tough situation, mm-hmm. um, our country's Look, Sam and I are the ultimate optimist. I am the Ronald Reagan morning in America. I have mm-hmm. great hope mm-hmm. for America 10, 20, 30 years from now. But, I'm with you. But we are in a valley right now. Mm-hmm. Okay? And, or, or to use another analogy, we're in a marathon. Or, you know, they marathon people say 16, 17, 18 miles the hardest. I think we're at that point right now with a marathon. What are the skills that you've acquired they're going to help you do a better job in Congress because they're so dysfunctional. So, for example, take the skills that you have that you've been hired to do. 
And what would you do and translate that to say to fix the border problem? Well, I, I, I think one of the biggest – one of the things I, I really became good at and got trained by uh, my, my, my mentors in Japan was how to look at and solve problems, okay? And many times the solutions that we come up with, whether they're legislation or bills or whatever, are going – it's a solution looking for a problem because they're ill-defined problems to begin with. So I'll give you an example, Chuck. So somebody said to me the other day, what are you going to do about the border, Okay. And sometimes I get, what are you going to do about the water situation? And when they ask me those questions, I said, okay, well, let's, I, I can't answer that. But, I, but if you want to talk about fentanyl, that's a separate problem. The women being raped, the child trafficking, these are all separate problems with different problem statements, okay? Um, you want to talk about uh, uh, crime and MS-13 and, and the gun running and all that, separate problem. And, and I can go on and on because there's like 12 of them that you can look at. Then once I look at those problem statements, I want to prioritize those based on a criteria. That criteria to me is our safety, okay, because that's the number one. The number one responsibility of government is to protect us from foreign and domestic threats. So when I look at this, I say, okay, now i got all these problem statements laid out, some economic-oriented, some safety-oriented. I want to look at those first because if I don't get those right, the rest doesn't matter, okay? That's how I think, right? And so you can't just say, well, what are you going to do about the border? People say, well, I'm going to build a wall. There's no silver, and by the way, I'm for the wall, but there's no silver bullet solutions to these problems. No. They're very complex. So people think, put up a wall and your problem's solved. No, it's not. Take the vaccine, your problem's solved. No, it's not. It's sort of like the gun okay. violence. Well, what, if we take the guns or we put a, ultimate universal background checks to solve the problem, and the frustrating thing for me on the gun violence situation is no one's talking about the root problem. No. You have a bunch of angry young men who are lost, who have no goals, they're fatherless homes. And, you know, Mike Lee uh, a month ago posted that fatherless homes are a big cause of this. And, oh, my goodness, Twitter just went outraged. Are you, are you, you know, you're, you're criticizing single moms. It's not what he said at all. I mean, the single moms are doing the yeoman work. He's simply saying when there's not a father around, there's a problem. And studies just show that. There's, I mean, that is just empirical evidence. You have a 20 times more chance ending up in jail if you grow up in a fatherless home. I'm sorry, that's That's, that's just a fact. Now, I know so that doesn't mean single moms are bad. That's just no, a fact. It does not. It does not. And, and you know, there's an assault on the American family today, which, uh, and there's a lot of things along with that, that to me is uh, if, if you break up, if you take your God, you take your families, and you go after your children to corrupt your children's minds, and then all you got to do now is take my gun away, and it's over, right? So, you know, when you look at the assault on the uh, on the family unit, and it's coming from a lot of different avenues, um, those are the things I think that uh, you know people get outraged like that. You know, is 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 just uh, something that we really have to, you know, reconsider. What are we doing to this country? And sometimes I think it's uh, intentional. I don't think it's by ignorance. Sometimes I really do think it's an intentional move. Yeah. To, okay. And, you know. Sam and I have this group of five friends who are all in this business. And we, I mean, that was what we're talking about this morning. We used to not believe that, but we do believe there's a faction who's like, let's burn it down. Yeah. No, there, there absolutely is at this point a faction that looks at this country and looks at generally the, the world more broadly and wants to tear it apart. And the image they're trying to rebuild it in is one that is so foreign to just about everybody in every Western country. It's hard to understand what what their end game is. Well, it's, yeah, either they're completely incompetent or they have 
you know, nefarious designs, well, to say the I, least. I think it ties back to the, the sort of every dog for themselves kind of thing, right? Is is these folks, if you're a bureaucrat, if you're a, you know, the UN or the EU, you want more power because that brings more money, more prestige, more for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I, I always say follow the money. Follow yeah. the money. It's very... you'll, you'll usually get your answer. So okay. your father, how many children do you have? Two. Two. Now, you say on your profile you're a gold star father. What is a gold star father? I don't think a lot of people understand. what We hear it. We know it means something, but what's it mean? Gold star status is the military status that uh, was developed back in World War One, where mothers primarily would lose their child, and, and they became gold star mothers. Over the years, it's been expanded to the gold star families, like a gold star brother, a gold star wife, husband, or father, like me, and my wife is a mother. And it means that you've lost uh, somebody in, in battle or in, in, in the military. And we lost our son, Stephen, in uh, 2010. Um, uh, both my boys signed up for uh, left CPA firms and uh, decided they were inspired by 9-11, right? And uh, they left CPA firms to go join the infantry in the Army, and they wanted to fight and uh, didn't even want to become commissioned officers, right? So they were in Afghanistan at the same time, uh, about 50 miles apart, and uh, Stephen got killed in, in 2010. And uh, Scott, uh, upon learning his of his brother's death, immediately right there, and he got into another firefight right there, you know, with the Taliban. And his on his mind was, okay, I got to keep my men safe, but I got to make sure my parents don't get a knock, another knock at the door, you know. So, because we didn't know about it, they told they make sure that. You know, nobody knew about it until we were told, but he knew about did it. Did they did they come just come to their house like you see in the movies, or did you call? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh, yeah. oh yeah. Nine thirty at night. Oh my gosh. You know, uh, we were we were watching a movie. We heard the doorbell ring, but we thought it was in the movie, like in the background. You know, <laughs> I said, "No, Diane, I think that's a, we're laying in bed watching a movie." And uh, and uh, I I went into our foyer. Our foyer, you know, we had glass doors, and I saw the two. Uh, so I grabbed my grabbed my Glock because you know who. Who, Who's there at nine thirty at night? In, who does? Who thinks your rings your bell at nine thirty, at night? And I saw the two uniform officers, so I immediately knew why they were there because it's the only reason they come to your door, especially oh. at that time of night. And uh, the only thing I didn't know was which one, right? So when I opened up the door, and it, by the way, it took for a three second walk. It seemed like it was an eternity to walk across that foyer. I imagine. Sl- slowed oh. down. So. I opened up the door and I said, uh, is it Scott? Because I hadn't talked to, spoken to Scott. I seen I think I just talked to him the day before. I said, is it Scott? First thing I said to him, and they go, no, it's Steven. Right, so. Wow. And, yep. and then I, I went. And did your wife, was she on top of the stairs? Did she hear oh, this? She, was, she followed me afterwards. She goes, who's that, Mark? What's going on? Because she didn't know what's going on, right? And our bedroom was on the first floor, unusual for a New England house, right? But, um, but we, but we, uh, uh, I immediately went into denial, like right, you know that change curve they talk about. I immediately went into denial, like no, this stuff happens to somebody else, right? You read about it, hear about it on the radio, hear, you know, it doesn't it can't happen to me. You guys got the wrong house, buddy. You know, you better go check something out. Mm-hmm. And uh, immediately, right? And then when dying came out, I told her, and uh, you know, she fell to the floor. Wow, how. Did the military follow up with you? How did the government follow up with you? What, what were the well, the, the military was phenomenal. Army, they were phenomenal. We had two crisis assistance officers, one for us, a guy named Joe Burke, Sergeant Joe Burke, 
and another lady named Andrea who was assigned to my son's uh, fiance. Because, oh. yeah. Wow. They were phenomenal. I mean, pff, can't say enough about them. Now, uh, in 2010, I think you remember who was president, and we didn't even get a call from the White House and, and uh, from the president, which is customary. And we got a letter in the mail, I don't know, a month later or whatever, uh, was a form letter that we compared against other Gold Star families with a stamp signature. It's the same signature, right? It wasn't a— Oh, for— Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a Christian program, so I, I can't really <laughs> say what I want to say right now. Right, that right. is— I did— I. But remember, though, Michael Brown's mother, the terror of Ferguson, the thug from Ferguson, she got a call. Yeah, okay. that's, that's my okay. son for the, for right. that president. Right, 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 right. Yeah. And— uh, but in 2019, we got a call from the White House, and I thought it was a fake call, right? And uh, and uh, they said uh, the the president, first lady, would like to invite you to the White House on it was the Friday after Memorial Day uh, to honor your family, you know. So we went to the White House, and uh, we had a full run of the White House. You got to see the West Wing as well, and all that stuff, and you know. <laughs> He threw out a spread for us and other Gold Star families, and he spent three hours with us. The most powerful guy in the world, Trump, spent and his wife, Melania, spent three hours with us. No press. Nobody knew about it. It was private. He didn't want to you know, look at me, look what I'm doing, right? Nope. And uh, the food, I mean, the dignitaries he had there, it was he had the, the Marine uh, Chamber, President's Chamber Band, uh, orchestra, I should say. It, it was over the top. You know, that, to me, was such a fundamental difference, frankly, between Trump and Obama, yep. that Obama you saw the military as a tool to be used without consideration for the people involved. In fact, in some, to some extent, contempt right. for the people that were right. sacrificing. Oh, yeah. Whereas Trump, I, I have no doubt at all, really saw people— Oh, he did. The people that were serving, the families that sacrificed, the, the everything, and he cared deeply about them. I'll tell, you, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what happened. So, you know, when we met the president and the first lady, uh, we met him in the blue room. I don't know if you've ever been there. Now, it's a pretty big room. And he's standing in the middle. And so Diane walked in first. They announced us. And I walked in. And Scott, my son Scott. Uh, and Trump walked over to Diane and hugged her. Right? He didn't wait for, you know her to come to him, you know. He walks over to her, gives her hugs. Then he looks at me and he points to the sky and he goes, Stephen's looking down right now. He goes like that, you know. So, phenomenal. With that experience, that you've had experience that a lot of families don't go through in America. I mean, we seem to be, a lot of us, you know, there seems to be a force field around us. We really don't realize the sacrifices people made. Hey, brother, I was in that boat too. Yeah, well, no, but you, but you've experienced, you know, you you have sacrificed your ultimate mm-hmm. treasure, in a lot of ways. How does that make you view when you're in Congress, intervening, serving our young men and women, and putting them overseas to fight for freedom or to protect allies or whatever the case may be? Well, you know, it's a long story here, but I will tell you this, Chuck. You know, Eisenhower warned us back in the '60s in his farewell speech. Uh, uh, 60 years ago or so, more than that, about the military-industrial complex. And in his speech, it said the military-industrial-congressional con- complex, he took the word congressional out. He knew that there was money in war, and we were going to get into wars that unnecessarily 
to and sacrifice for men and women because of the mighty dollar, right? And there's a lot of money. And I truly believe, I truly believe the reason Trump got such attention in terms of the Russian crap and all the other stuff that happened is because of his resistance to go to war. He did not start a new war, okay? Mm-hmm. And he's pulling us out, right? And that's not good when you take away people's gravy train, okay? I really believe that. And uh, I know that we could have won Afghanistan in one, less than one year. And I, I, I know special forces guys, and I know guys at very high levels in the military that told me that, how they got pulled out right when they were ready to close the door on the Taliban, they got pulled back from Washington. Now, we were there for 21 years. You're telling me that the greatest military in the world could not beat the Taliban. Right. Give yeah. me a break. No, I agree with you and, and on why, that. And why did, we, why did we wipe out ISIS in a matter of months? Because Trump was running it. Okay? Yeah. Took the gloves off. And I know how they did it. They did it with drones, with special forces and drones, and nobody got killed. Very few people, you know. So so we could have done that, too. And, and uh, there's no reason we should have been nation-building because, you know, we're building, you know. And by the way, the stuff we did there was great, but that's not what we do with our men and women, okay? That's not – we fight uh, – so I, as a congressman – you know, I already met with McCarthy. Called me in one time. I was working with, uh, I was meeting with Mark Meadows, and McCarthy heard I was in town and wanted to go meet with him. I told him I want to be on three committees. I wrote a letter and gave it to him. But I said to him, Kevin, I said, look, I said, make sure. I know you're in a minority. I said, but do not let Biden go to war with our men and women unless he comes to you for the War Powers Act. It's one of the enumerated. I'm actually I I, that was actually leading into my next question for you is we've seen Congress abdicate its responsibility, but the president and the president go around them on everything. That's why they're freaking about the Supreme Court ruling on the EPA. Right. Well, well, they also do that, by the way, with the with by by violating the 10th Amendment, by creating unconstitutional agencies Mm -hmm. like the EPA, like the Department of Ed, like OSHA. And what they do is these regulations that get written are fundamentally uh, uh, have the power of law. Mm-hmm. And who dictates those regulations but the president? Well, right. and, and— Because Congress will not pass laws to do those things because they'll get kicked out next day. Well, and, right. and having worked in, in government, I didn't really fully understand the extent of the problem until I was there, but it's not the president that's making those decisions or even his upper-level appointees. It's the people in those agencies. Yeah, it's, yeah but the direct—you know, like, like Obama puts in DACA, right? Right. The CDC puts a regulation in that says that a landlord cannot evict, evict somebody, yep. you know, and they lost their buildings to the corporate guys that donated to them, okay? Mm-hmm. So you see how it works? And, and so all this stuff, you know, is being, you know, influenced and directed by the executive branch, which basically means our, our checks and balances are gone, okay? Uh, yeah, you, you have no checks and balances when yeah. you have— a president and the agencies underneath him that are making all the decisions right. essentially for the United States. I mean, how do you think we got DACA? Right. Right. That's a, that's a great example. right? Well, there. Waters of the U.S., which is one of the most yeah. ridiculous uh, regulation same thing. frameworks in history. You know what I tell, I tell people? I say, look, my job as a congressman, my number one job is to keep us federal government out of your hair here in Arizona, EPA-wise, starting with the Department of Education. That's got to go first. We just got to defund that and get rid of it. There's such a big gap between D.C., the blue states, and the red states, right? right? right. If you look around the red states, including Arizona, they're pretty well run internally. 
but they spend an awful lot of time and money dealing with federal regulations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been are, out to the mines. I've been out to a helium mine. I've been out to some of the other mines. And the regulation and red tape that's required just to get things done is insurmountable. You know, that particularly when we're talking about the EPA, I've always said it's completely ridiculous to me that we eliminate and, and essentially make it impossible to do mining or other extractive activities here in the United States where we have the best pollution controls on those those operations, on those mines in the world, but they turn a completely blind eye to a mine in the Sudan that is being mined by slave, you know, slave just, child labor. Look, look, it's just out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. Right. And that's how they approach everything. Mark, we've got a couple minutes left here. We're grateful for you being on the show. So tell the good people of Arizona CD2 why you they should get your vote by August 2nd and why you're the best person to beat this incumbent Democrat. Well, look, all of my uh, competition, they're all great people, okay? They've all done great things, and they've all, we all check the same boxes pretty much, right? The difference I think you got to look at is who has the skills once you get there, okay? You're not going to get it done with slogans and tattoos, okay? You're not going to get it done there. You've got to know how to ask the right questions. I've got a, a great business background. I've, I've been a CFO. I, know, I have a financial background in operations. I've run manufacturing. I've been on, you name the industry, I've been in it. Uh, I've seen the underbelly of China. I know how China works. I've been, I went actually instrumental in changing the F, FTC laws of Made in USA, where you can't mark your product Made in USA if it's not. And um, uh, I, I, I led that charge way back when. Um, I understand how China and have prevented China from stealing our technology and our, and our jobs. I know how they work. I think China's our biggest threat, believe it or not. And, uh, and, and it's going to rear its ugly head in the next year or two, especially with Taiwan and the silicon chip and the 5G stranglehold they have on us. They own everything, okay? And, and, and I'm really concerned. I understand how the world works, and I know how to solve problems. You know, like President Trump. I'm not a creature of Washington, uh, and I'm a successful businessman. Just because you run a business doesn't mean you know business. And I'm a successful businessman, and I just and I know how to get things done. Okay, so you know that's that's the difference I think between me and some of the other people in this uh, in this race. Well, so. Mark, we appreciate you coming. Where can people find you on social media? Uh, well, you can go to my website, uh, deluzioforcongress.com. That's D-E-L-U-Z-I-O-F-O-R for Congress.com. And uh, I've got Facebook pages and Twitters and everything. All else. that fun like, stuff. Yeah, you're like you're like yeah. some fifteen year old. You got a tip TikTok? <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking about when I was fifteen years old, and, and you just back with some memories, man. I, I am just entirely grateful that I managed to grow up before all of this social media came on the scene, because I definitely would not be working in politics right now if that had been the case. Oh my goodness, you know, I, I think I'm back at 15, 16 years old, and I told my kids, if you did half the stuff I did, I'd kill you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Says every parent to their kid. Mark, thanks for joining us today. Everybody, um, the primary is um, August, August 2nd. 2nd. Make sure you vote. Don't be lazy. DeluzioforCongress.com. Yeah, Check them you. out. Thanks, guys. Thank you. I appreciate it. The political field is all about reputation, so don't let someone squash yours online. Secure your name and political future with a yourname.vote web address from GoDaddy.com. Your political career depends on it.